welcome to the show in which we talk about likes and films. What is the name of that show? Project A Plus, of course. Oh, of course. Uh, named after the uh, wonderful Jackie Chan film. So we'll be talking today about a couple of uh, recently released films. Uh, first of all, Annihilation, the uh, Alex Garland film released in theaters in some countries and in Netflix in other countries such as mine. By what you mean in theaters in one country and Netflix in all others? Was it just was it just US yeah, that it was so. in theaters in? Oh wow, okay, that's interesting. Um, and also the death of Stalin, Amanda Iannucci's second feature film. So let's see, Annihilation is a new film from uh, Alex Garland, who was for a while like Danny Boyle's like screenwriter, right? Like he wrote Sunshine and Twenty Eight Days Later, and. Um, and then he sort of reached greater heights um, with Dread, right? Which he wrote, and then sort of after the fact, it's like, oh, maybe this guy actually directed this movie, or at least handled a lot of the post-production. And then he jumped from writing to directing, well, I guess doing both, with Ex Machina, which I thought was pretty good, but I don't know, it felt a little, like, too clever for its own good, right? You know what I mean? But that movie really put him on the map, and it, it did pretty good business, if I remember correctly. Um, I think for its um, yeah for its budget yeah I think it and would've... also I think it won the Academy Award for special effects as well. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, it it does have very good visual effects. Yeah, like it like doubled its budget, maybe a little more. It's pretty good for a film with that scale. But it's a it's a it's a interesting film. It sort of seemed to promise greater things from him coming forward, right? So I actually was pretty excited when he announced that he was making Annihilation. Uh, because I quite like the the book that it's based on, which is a novel by uh, Jeff Vandermeer, which is kind of, it's like, a, you know, Lovecraft-esque, I guess, but minus all the racism. <laughs> um, and it's it's a really uh, creepy novel. It's kind of like the um, reverse of most environmental disaster um, stories, where it's like, instead of corrupting the environment and the people, it's like purifying everything, which is interesting. Um, and that, that's sort of a, a trilogy of novels that are all really interesting to read. Did you read the full trilogy? I've read two of them, and okay. uh, I've not read the third one. But um, when you read the novel, you could see how it would make an interesting movie, right? And not in terms of, like, um, it's not like one of those novels that's like, oh, this is just cranked out to make a movie. But you can see how some of it's, like, sort of the way it describes stuff could lead to an interesting sort of tense, creepy atmosphere, I think it would translate really well to a film, which I personally do not think we accomplished here. So anyway, I saw Annihilation on the big screen. You saw it, I assume, on Netflix. I saw it on Netflix, yeah. Did you watch it on a television or on your computer? Television. Okay. Um, and it was a decent-sized television. So what did you think of Annihilation, Hugh? Uh, well, before you get to that, it's probably just worth mentioning in terms of the... Uh, the way the film was adapted from the book. Yes. Um, Alex Garland has sort of said it. he wanted to make a film of the memory of him reading the book and, and what it made him feel as opposed to like a linear translation of the book. I hate, I hate that. Um, so it does obviously divert from the source material uh, in a number of ways. So uh, going in, I was also looking forward to it, uh, as I said, on the basis that it's, this high concept, arty, sci-fi style, yeah, um, which I really do enjoy when it's executed successfully. So I kind of forgive some of the flaws that we'll talk about 
um, just on the basis of what it was trying to do. I kind of appreciate what it was heading towards and going for. So yeah, that actually makes it that actually makes it like it worse, to be honest. I didn't mind that it went for something and didn't necessarily reach it. Um, I, I thought that I, that made me like at least admire it on some level. It was trying to do something. Um, and then there are, there are good points to the film. Uh, overall, I was pretty disappointed with it, though. Yeah, so was I. I guess we should weigh up the plot a bit. Um, yeah, we should actually explain the premise. Um, so it's about uh, sort of a team of scientists who trudge into this area that the government has cordoned off because it contains some mysterious wife or something like that. Or it's, it's, got, it's an unknown thing, and they've sent expeditions in, and they've not returned, except for Natalie Portman's husband, who's played by Oscar Isaac who returned in the middle of the night, uh, drank a glass of orange juice, and then uh, sort of started dying, right? And so that sort of captivates her to try to go on on, on this uh, other ex- exploration, expedition into this uh, zone, which is called Area X. Um, they just sort of see what's up with it, I guess. Yeah, um, and there's obviously it obviously mirrors the premise of Stalker and uh, Roadside picnic the novel it's based on to a greater degree than than the novel like by far so it's this mysterious area uh, where some alien influence has hit earth and and done something <laughs> it's a serious zone yeah, yeah serious yeah. Zone. Uh, i hated that it was called the shimmer <laughs> honestly uh, is that i'm assuming that's in the book right no it's not <laughs> It's not okay. No, <laughs> like pretty much everything I really didn't like about this movie. Like, I I hate being the person who's like, oh, this didn't do what the book did because like obviously the best adaptations are generally was it straight away from the source material, right? But like everything in the book is so much more interesting than this movie. Like it's just called Area X, which is like a good sort of bland but sinister title, right? And and they use that in the movie too. What's even better is, like, the um, sort of barrier, which in the movie is, like, this sort of ostentatious, like, CGI uh, shimmer. It's like a, a bubble with a reflected kaleidoscope of light. But in, in the novel, it's just like a, like, you can't see it, which is creepy. Yeah, and that's that's more directly in parallel with uh, Stalker, because um, Stalker has no special effects at all, and it's really effectively done. But, like, you'd think that they would just do that to save on money, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, why even have this terrible-looking, like, shimmer effect? Like, it's just so stupid. Well, it, that seems to be a concession to some of what it's flirting with, which is more of a genre sci-fi horror film, um, because it, it reflects things like Alien and stuff like that. When they when a, a, a squad of um, soldiers and scientists... But but the thing I also... The, I mean, this is sort of in contrast to Alien, which I think is, like, you know, great. But also something that the book does really well is, like, the people in it are not, like... Um, they're, they're just giving, like, boring, generic backstories. But the people in Alien, it's, like, a, it's very existential in that, like, their backstories don't really matter. It's just really dependent on, like, how they act, right? There's this here where it's all about, like, their stupid, generic, like, oh, I'm... I'm dying of cancer and oh no, my husband's sick, you know? Yeah, I really, really um, bristled at the uh, conceit that they're all, as they say in the film, damaged goods. I just... Oh, I, that was I, terrible. But, which is, again, not in the book. <laughs> I thought, I, I think I read some of the um, synopsis of the book. I thought there was something to do with them being somewhat damaged individuals, right? So the only characters that really gain definition are the main character in the... Uh, Character that's played by Jennifer Jason Lee in the movie. 
I mean, the movie, the book is t- told entirely from her perspective, right? And unlike the movie, like, her husband is, like, dead before the movie starts, right? And, like, what motivates her to explore Area X is, like, way less, like, oh, I need to find out what happened to my husband and more just, like, her own personal curiosity, right? Which is a lot more interesting than being, like, I gotta go find out how to cure my husband. <laughs> like, there's no point where I, which I cared at all, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a, a point worth making. And I think part of the problem for me was, um, aside from the, the script and direction, <laughs> um, part of the problem was for me was... Um, the acting. <laughs> the acting, yeah. So Natalie Portman, uh, I don't think she's a bad actor, but she's never really connected. I mean, have you seen the Star Wars prequels? Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually like her in the Star Wars prequels. But she's never been that effective an actor for me personally i think she's good at the right director yeah i think i think the problem is um when there's no real humor in the material and it's kind of she's expected to do this kind of very uh intense one note performance she's not the right person to carry that because i think her pained expression is tedious uh especially especially throughout an entire film just that kind of i'm on the verge of this intense sadness or something yeah i think a different actor even with the same material would have been a better choice in the lead than than her i agree with that but i didn't think any of the performances were good i thought i thought tessa thompson was like okay i thought oscar isaac was quite effective as the yeah but he's like barely in it yeah as a spooky sort of shell-shocked veteran essentially yeah that scene where he comes in was like pretty effective i think so yeah, the thing that that doesn't work, the mishmash of stuff doesn't work. Like it, it kind of has this the elements, as we said, of, of a genre sci-fi action thriller horror film. It's like they made too many concessions to it being like a mainstream, like science fiction film. I think you know. I think it definitely should have gone further in the almost moody lyrical direction of the intellectual Soviet sci-fi kind of stuff. Especially like when you're first entering the the zone and going through that shimmer thing it's like they do that thing where they're like oh we've we've lost a chunk of time but there was there was never that effectively directed transition from the outside world into this new zone which which really should be at the heart of what the film is trying to do it just kind of breezed past it, it doesn't feel like a hugely fast-paced film no. that might be giving people the wrong impression but because it doesn't try and um evoke this particular uh, alien landscape cinematically in terms of the way it uses time and, and shot duration yeah. and what's focusing on you don't really feel like you've entered this different area you're just watching a story unfold whereas i think when you're in the hands of someone like tarkovsky who wrote like his film theory book where he talks about cinema as sculpting in time which is quite oh, pretentious, so pretentious. <laughs> quite pretentious um and i've, I've yeah i don't think the I've heard the book isn't especially That's interesting, funny. but I think it's a good point to utilize time in this, this type of story. Uh, like, like, and you know, when you think of something like 2001 and that sort of sci-fi or, or like using, using like cinematic techniques that are not just like, I'm going to put a bunch of strange things in this frame. And now we move on to the next thing and next thing, next thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very standard in terms of like the imagery is sometimes very weird, but like, I don't know, like it's very like sort of flatly composed, I think. And there's some good elements of the production design, like the I think when the, the they find the corpse on the wall that's uh, sort of sprouted into a plant. Yeah, that was really creepy. But do you know what it reminded me of? What uh, the movie Bright. 
<laughs> this is a similar thing. Um, but yeah, I thought that was creepy. I actually quite like the, the, the videotape sequence too. But I felt like it went on too, like, it was too, it was too quick. And like nothing felt of consequence. Like even the indie, which is supposed to be like, oh man. But I, I think this is another problem it had, which, which is like, um, the best part about the book is like what happens is totally inexplicable, right? There's never an explanation given as to what's happening. In the movie, it's just like, you know, it's a meteor or something. I don't know. You know, it's like, I, there's aliens. I just, I, I just didn't care. Like, you know, although the idea of the media striking the um, lighthouse gave it probably the best visual image it has in the entire film uh, early on when it shows this weird light hitting the light, the lighthouse. I actually, I quite like the, when they go into the lighthouse and it's just like that weird, there's like the, the chalky corpse. So like that, that was like effectively production designed too. But then when she goes into like the heart of it, it's just like, Oh, it's just a bunch of alien nonsense, you know. And the the like mimic creature wasn't especially interesting. It's just like every video game I've ever played, like it's out of the distant world. It's just like all technically, like whatever. Who cares? There was definitely like a some good um, visual stuff that just wasn't really given much room to move yeah. in the film. And it seemed to it seemed to think that some visual ideas would be more striking and interesting than they ultimately were. Like that the mimic thing, I think especially was like, I was like, okay, I fucking got it. Like, come on. <laughs> Uh, but I, I really didn't like this film, but I thought, I thought it was like a real waste of time, and like, I was a little angry when I left the theater, to be honest. Sure, I would have felt differently in a theater. I think it actually is probably... <laughs> Better in Netflix? Yeah, it probably is. It's funny. Even though everyone's saying, oh, it's such a film that has to be experienced on a, on a, in the theater, and they're criticizing the distribution, but... The thing I was most excited about, it in a way, was like the sound design, because I thought it was going to be a little um, under the skinny, you know? Like, with a really, like, sort of eclectic electronic score. But the fucking, like, folk song was so terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, I got why they had it, because it was supposed to be, like, a dichotomy. I was like, oh, my God, the dichotomy between, like, this folksy, earthy music versus the, the sense of this, you know, but... Yeah, it's like, it's like okay, we'll give you, the, we'll concede that uh, not many sci-fi films use this, but it still doesn't mean it works. It's and just... that song is terrible. <laughs> There's a there's an extent to which um, it plays with questions and stuff, and it doesn't really come up with any satisfying answers. Yeah. All, all the questions aren't that satisfying. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily matter. I think if you nailed like this mood and atmosphere of the zone, like that's really all you needed to do. You just needed to nail that down, and everything else kind of doesn't matter so yeah. much. Honestly, even the performances. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And like the, the questions become more profound if you have this like atmosphere to them. I think. And because it's it's you're bringing something to it, what the atmosphere makes you feel and, and how it... Yeah, and it allows you to sort of, like, um, uh, intimately relate those questions to your experience because you're actually experiencing something. That can be the really effective thing about this type of science fiction that doesn't try and force-feed you answers. And I'm not saying Annihilation is necessarily a successful example of that. There's something like 2001 where uh, Kubrick intentionally took out the narration that was in the original script. Um, and it makes it a much more interesting experience. Yeah, totally. Because like it's it's so um, enigmatic. I, I think it annoys me when people like try and come up with a definitive answer for that. Because I, I think that's really the point. Yeah, of course. It's supposed to um, raise questions and maybe suggest some answers, but not necessarily be like, here you go. And the reason it can get away with that is is because of how effectively the whole thing is put together and how effectively it generates this mood and, and the way it, it uses time and all that sort of stuff. So that's Annihilation. Uh, I, I would say don't watch it. <laughs> I would say, like, 
um, if you if you have it on Netflix and you and you're somewhat interested in that type of thing, you know, you, you could do worse. I mean, because you could like watch a wall for an hour, and that would be worse. I thought it was really you watch mute. Actually. You can watch mute. Come on, mute is, is mute, but mute is like <laughs> the worst. Like, so is that all we have to say about annihilation? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty. It's not very. No, good. no. <laughs> I would say if I were to give it a star rating, which we do on our podcast, I would say two stars. Uh, I'd give it three. All right. Well, I guess we'll go into our second film now, uh, which is what movie was it? I've already forgotten. The Death of Star. Ah, yes. So I'm excited to hear what your opinion is. To give a brief uh, overview of the film, uh, comes from Amanda Iannucci. Uh, who's probably most famous, uh, at least to Americans, for Veep and uh, In the Loop. Um, but he had a long career in television prior to that. And uh, I've been probably following his career for a long time. So The Death of Stalin is a uh, retelling of the final days and aftermath of uh, the death of Stalin, <laughs> based on the actual events, but... It takes a lot of liberties. Well, it's based more, more directly on a graphic novel. Yeah. It condenses the time, especially, uh, in which these events transpire. It basically uh, squashed it all into a week, I think, when um, in reality it was closer to like six months or a year that some of these things uh, happened. And I was really looking forward to this, but I have to say I was actually quite disappointed in the film. Really? Yeah. Uh, what did you think of it? I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually, I think. Um, though I was kind of in a weird headspace when I watched it because I had just finished being like really, really sick. <laughs> because the day after I sp- spent the basically the entire day just sitting on my bed and throwing up, so it's a kind of an odd mood. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. The the thing that that struck me most of all is is there's really interesting material at the heart of this. Mm. Uh, especially if you read the actual uh, historical events, which are in some ways even more interesting and insane than this version. What I think the biggest problem is that it doesn't really work successfully as a film for me. I think he's not quite there as a as a film director uh, as much as he is a writer. Um, I think In the Loop worked better. Uh, I think I think that the. the he was more successful with that type of material. I think what I wanted was a director who would capture more of that atmosphere of, of that time um, a, a bit more effectively. It felt a bit flat. And Could you, what do you mean by that? Just like the, the paranoia and the fear of being... I didn't come away with it getting any texture of the Soviet Union at that time, of the mood. Yeah, but I mean, that that's. Environment. I think that's kind of like the point to an extent, right? Because like he's not like... I mean, he's not casting, like, Russian actors. Like, he's just using Americans and British actors who all speak their, like, normal accents. Like, there's no, like, attempt at, like, verisimilitude at all. Well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be authentic. But what you're trying to capture is um, something inherent in the material. Some sense of dread, some sense of um, chaos and absurdity. Translated more cinematically. I I think he achieves it in some scenes. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I agree that there are fragments of that working successfully in the film, um, but I don't think it's sustained as a full film. Um, I don't think he has the visual language to pull that off uh, yet in his career. Yeah, some of the visual jokes sort of fell flat to me, I think. 
often the way I can judge how successful a film is as a film mm. uh, is, is how it works in my memory after the, after the fact, when you're thinking back on it and you kind of get this picture of it in your head that a lot of the decisions in the film have, you know, consciously created and effective films really live in your imagination after the, after the, you leave the theater because of the, the way that they've captured something. Uh-huh. Um, and films that are, uh, you know, a little bit more prosaically put together and perhaps haven't put the thought into that type of stuff that much kind of disappear from the memory a lot. So it kind of washed over me once I saw it and there's not much in my head when I think back of this film. That's interesting. Uh, there's a couple of moments that I remember and enjoy, but... Yeah, I guess I'm kind of the same way, but I saw it a couple of while ago, so... And I think I think it's, it's a little bit uh, problematic. Not problematic. Jesus Christ. I don't want to use that word. It's dead. It's dead now. That word is, has lost all meaning, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say problematic in terms of uh, anything political per se. Mm. Although I, I think I agree. I read um, there was like a, a takedown of the film by uh, an academic who was is more versed in the source material. It's kind of a, an interesting read. Um, and But one thing I do agree with, and I think this is something you mentioned in your initial reaction mm. to the film, which is, uh, what's the, I should remember the character's name. Uh, Barrier. The evil... Yeah, Barrier. Um, his sort of uh, sexual predilections and uh, horrible history of taking advantage of, of women and rape and, and killing them. That's in the film, uh, and it should be in the film because I think it's, a, it's, it's an important part of his character, but it's not really treated very seriously or no. it's not really fleshed out very much. And I don't think it would be right for them to say, oh, it would be too horrible if we lingered too much on that because obviously they didn't... I think what, what gives this comedy... Uh, whatever strength it has is the darkness underneath it like the the scene in which barrier is is ultimately executed um, so obviously they don't want to shy away from uh, how how grim it could be uh, i think the film would have been more effective if it if it kind of took that a little bit more seriously with his instances of sexual assault and murder of innocent women and i think that the yeah some of the darkness could have perhaps been more emphasized in the film to my mind yeah I, I agree with that um i don't know i, I thought but again like it kind of i just i don't know it wasn't like a film that i was like oh i mean this is really deep and interesting so i think it did like hit on something that sort of timely and political at least living under a, a ruler who has cultivated like a cult of personality and stuff and it's like authoritarian leanings maybe it's given me like or given the film like slightly more of an edge than it has for you i mean the main thing was i just thinking i just wish uh, a different director had maybe taken on the material. Yeah. I guess I could, could see that being interesting. I mean, I thought all the performances were really funny. I thought Michael Palin was probably the best. Like, both his character and his acting, like, sort of were the best at highlighting sort of the, um, the paradoxes inherent in being, I guess, a hardcore Stalinist, right? Like, where he's, like, <laughs> he denounces his wife and then, like, quickly undenounces her and, like, I thought I thought that entire, entire subplot was really funny. I think I think where it cinematically flattens a little bit um, is when it becomes an ensemble piece of people standing around in a room. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I, I I think it's intentional. Like Amanda Nietzsche probably just wants to make sure he captures these performances and the dialogue and that sort of stuff and the and the madness of it that way. It doesn't need to be too showy cinematically. But I think there's an interesting contrast between scenes like that that kind of play a little bit flatly on the big screen and. The, the opening of the film in which they do the uh, orchestra 
performance, then they have to redo it because Stalin wanted a recording and they weren't recording it. Worked a little bit more, a little bit better cinematically than um, some of those other scenes. So I think it shows that he's capable of, of that, but I don't think he's the complete picture of, as a film director yet. I will always be interested in what he does. Um, my, probably my favourite thing that he's ever done is his um, sketch television show. Which one? The Amanda Iannucci show. Uh, I've never seen it. Which is, a, it's not widely seen uh, since it was released. I don't think it ever made it to Australia um, or anything, but I really enjoyed the tone and the execution of, of his sketches on that show. Uh, and he direct he directs a lot of the television stuff himself, uh, and I think I think he does have merit as a director, um, but I think it's just on the big screen he needs more development. Yeah, I can accept yeah, that. That should do it for Death of Stone. Yeah, how many stars would you give it? Uh, so I yeah three and a half I think is what I'd give it. Yeah, I'd say I'd say four. Yeah, like great but not or good but not like terrific. I don't know. I tend to rate a lot of stuff four stars. It turns out. So I guess we should move on to me taking a break so I could go use the bathroom. So I guess we move on to the segment in which we talk about some films we've seen. Oh, thank God. In the last since last time. Like, no, no, let's just just films you want to talk yeah. about. I'm not even going to go by like specifically last week. I'll just say films I want to. Just, just uh, as we as I said before, let's let's do. I'll do three films. Okay, let's both do three films. Okay, all right. The best film we watched. The worst film we watched. And then one wild card, right. which is just whatever. And maybe if you want to blend some stuff in there as well, or use one film to talk about others, that's fine too. Okay, sound good. All right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you want to start? You're you seem like you're champion at the bit. No, you start. You're champion at the bit. <laughs> I'm not champion at the bit. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, I'm gonna start with my the worst film I watched, and the last week. Actually, a lot of contenders for this, to be honest, because uh, I watched a lot of garbage. Um, just to give you a rundown of some of the films that I don't enjoy. Uh, we already talked about Annihilation. <laughs> I yeah. really didn't care for The Square, which was nominated for Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Picture. Uh, I yeah. thought I didn't really like Perot LeFou that much, but not to say extent to some of the others. Uh, a Talking Cat, a Disastrous. Uh, hilarious film but uh, the film I'm going to settle on today is one uh, some corners of the internet have risen to a certain degree of infamy called The Book of Henry which you have also seen mm. yeah. which is just a uh, a terrible film um, for myriad reasons uh, mostly because it's terrible <laughs> I don't know it's just it's so <laughs> creepy and misjudged and there seems to be two women in the film who have a 
possibly sexual relationship with a 11 year old who's also super genius um i don't know it's terrible and it got its director fired from making a star wars movie uh but uh, unlike a lot of terrible films i watch where i enjoy watching them because of their terribleness i would definitely not recommend book of henry because it's really boring and the crazy stuff is like entertaining but it um requires you to sit through a lot of like uh stuff that's trying to be charming but just failing completely on its face i don't even want to talk about the premise or anything like that because it's just so terrible yeah i i I would recommend to anyone uh who can appreciate like bad things uh to some degree and has heard nothing about the book of henry if you don't know anything about it it's interesting to watch um just because you'll be sustained by the bizarre tone deaf choices that the narrative makes yeah i would agree with that um and that will carry you through the film though i will say i i will say uh, i watched it with my girlfriend and she didn't know anything about it besides like some basic plot stuff that i told her and she thought it was also unwatchable so there you go okay (laughs) okay yeah well i guess i guess um it depends on your appreciation for garbage garbage yeah. it's really awful but i think if you've heard it broken down on a podcast or read a bunch about it it's probably not worth seeking out and sitting through i get that um it had one of my, it had just have one of my favorite lines of dialogue of any movie ever though i want to see the sky mom uh, which i loved <laughs> and i'm not going to say any more about that for fear of spoiling the experience it's great stuff um so do you want to go next um, so yeah, okay. So the worst film I saw, um, and this is kind of difficult to decide because, uh, aside from the films I've already talked about, mm. like Annihilation and Death of Stalin, um, all the films I'm watching, uh, stuff, um, you know, has a reputation for being decent. So I'm not really going to find some garbage, uh, out of that, but I would say the film I, I, I liked the least out of everything I, I saw, uh, in that period, aside from Annihilation, uh, it was probably Pierre Lupu. Which I also watched recently. I find I find I found that kind of uh, torturous to get through. I think it had interesting things in it. Like some of it I really enjoyed. Um, I think the ending made up for a lot. <laughs> if we can spoil the ending of like him just ex- exploding, I was like, yeah, whatever. That, was fine. <laughs> that, that kind of um, that kind of made me like it a little bit more than uh, otherwise. But it literally just felt like he was playing his hits to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Like, I thought I enjoyed a lot of it up until the point where they go to the island and I was like, oh, God. I, I agree. Like, I kind of enjoyed, like, the the way the, the ride in the car was shot and stuff like that. Yeah. All that stuff was kind of enjoyable. Where I, I really enjoy the party sequence where they're just walking in and uh, everyone's just talking about, like, the brands and that's it. <laughs> Which I thought was, like, funny. Yeah, and the, and the, the colors. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, yeah, so there was... I, I agree, and then at a certain point in the movie, it's just... It's because, like, tedious. And I hate, like, the, the just the the number of, like, literary references and, like, oh, my God, like, Jesus Christ. Like, I get it, Godard, you're an intelligent person. Like, fuck off. <laughs> this shows the limitation of Godard's approach of uh, improvised filmmaking, because it really shows. Yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> it's not like you would you would find out after seeing this, what, this was improvised? <laughs> wow, so, so controlled and inspired. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah. And and the thing the thing this compared to Breathless had a, had a uh, 
vibrancy about it and a freshness about it that this does not. So I'll give it you, bro. This felt like a wank. I mean, and and sort of like, and that's how it's sort of uh, situated in filmography to a certain extent. Because this is like one of the last like traditional films he made for like a decade or so. Farewell to that old. I mean, Weekend's like the real capstone, and Weekend's like a more interesting film, I think. But we're not talking about Weekend. Yeah, I thought it was pretty insufferable. It's it only brought some good into the world, and that it inspired Chantal Ackerman to start making movies. Yeah, agreed. The reason I wanted to watch it was that I'd heard people like other directors and stuff speak of it uh, admiringly mm. and stuff like that. Um, and then I noticed that it was going to be uh, removed from the streaming service at some point, mm. so I decided to watch it. Yeah. I wasn't even quite in the mood for it, perhaps. But I think I, I think I'm gonna try to rewatch it because uh, I was talking to one of my friends who's also in the same program that I am and he mentioned that he hated it the first time he watched it too and then he came to really like it or appreciate it later right so i think i might try to give it another watch before it's removed but uh actually i was really interested in watching because it's one of the only films of his that was like a criterion release it's really hard to get your hands on in the states actually because the criterion is out of print for some reason okay Um, but yeah it's definitely I, i actually tend to prefer the godard films that critics seem to think are not as good like Band of Outsiders, for instance, which is not like a great like, like treatise on cinema or anything like that, but it's just like a really enjoyable sort of like, uh, deconstructionist gangster film. I think. I really want to say that, but it's, it's, I haven't had access. It's to really, it. it's really, it's really good. The, the score is really good too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree that it's, it's not, it's not that great. What would you say was the best film that you saw? Um. I'm trying to decide if I should go with like the stereotypical um, <laughs> film nerd one or the one that I actually probably enjoyed the most, which is a, a little film called <laughs> Basic Instinct. <laughs> I'm going to run down some of the other films that, that's topping. Uh, okay. So I thought that was it was better than Black Panther. <laughs> Wogan Lucky. Daisies. I think I prefer Daisy's uh, too. I did not. Basically. Uh, Wendy and Lucy. <laughs> Meek's cut off, which I also think is amazing. Uh, the Beaches of Agnes. Black Girl. <laughs> and Cloud Atlas. I think basically he's a better film than all of those. I noticed you seemed uh, very positive towards Cloud Atlas. Yes, yeah, I thought it was great. Have you seen Cloud Atlas? No. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah. Neither seen nor read. I like the Wachowskis a lot, though, so your mileage may vary. But yeah, I, I really like Cloud Atlas a lot. I like Speed Racer. Yeah, Speed Racer's great. But uh, anyway. I liked it more than The Matrix. We're not we're not fucking talking about fucking The Matrix or Speed Racer right now. Or Cloud Atlas. <laughs> we're talking about Basic Instinct, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> This is the first time you'd seen yes, it, right? Yes, it was. It was one of the only Verhoeven's, at least it was American films that I hadn't seen previously. Uh, and I loved it. I thought it was great. It was like a, a strange, like, burlesque of a noir movie. With all, like, sort of the uh, psychosexual elements just, like, brought so far into the forefront that it becomes this grotesque, hilarious parody of itself. I think Verhoeven is so uh, interesting. Yeah, I agree. Because because on paper, what he's trying to do could be insufferable. Yeah. Like simultaneously subvert and also kind of celebrate and, and make an enjoyable product. But it it always works. Like 
it always works yeah like like basic instinct is like there's really interesting things you can read into it yeah it's like like it's basically like a feminist film to to a certain extent because like it's like i don't know all the men in it are terrible <laughs> it works on the same level of as what it's trying to subvert so it's, it's just it, it's just enjoyable like his films just don't seem to 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 uh, they they would come apart in the hands of any other director. Yeah, but, anyone who who would like take their foot off the pedal of just trying to make an, en- an enjoyable genre film in order to make a particular point, yeah. it would collapse. But in a way, he's kind of like he's like the only real like auteur in like the super classical sense that like still exists. I mean, he not anymore because he, you know, is like all he makes is like specialty films. But he's very similar to like people who worked under the studio system, like tried to smuggle like stuff into their what seemed like sort of boring movies right he kind of he's kind of like a, like i don't know like anthony mann or something like that. i mean not to the same like you know not to the same not in the sense that he he explores similar themes but making like subversive like genre pictures that I like mean, D- douglas circus yeah exactly like someone who would give in sort of material that seems like sort of substandard is able to make something like transcendent and like amazing out of it you know mm. um and like his films are, like super popular too you know like total recall is like one of the highest received films of the year it was released and that movie's, like, crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really... I think he's an amazing director. He's, like, one of my, like, favorites. Uh-huh. And I thought Basic Instinct was just... It was just perfect. Like, there's nothing... It's, like, maybe, like, slightly too long. But that's, like, it. And, uh... I, th- I don't know, like... Just everything in it is, like, so finely tuned. And, like... As opposed to the normal noir film where you're, like, oh, man, women using their power... Or they're, they're diluting hapless men like it's such a subversion of the fatality character where like it's only it's like the only sensible position a woman can be in essentially you know where it's like yeah you need to be violent towards men because men are terrible and violent uh and there's something i I really enjoyed about that um yeah i i thought it was like great (laughs) but anyway just the sort of ideal Michael Douglas vehicle. Really. Oh, he's so because, but he's like playing a parody of like his characters in like Fatal Attraction or, uh, but like it, it, as opposed to like Fatal Attraction, where he's like supposed to be like charming. You know what I mean? Or he's like he's like somewhat heroic. Again, like, this he's like not. He's terrible. <laughs> you need to be. You need to um, have a character that has that underlying sleaze if you're going to use Michael Douglas because he does not work in in straight. Lines. And the best part is like. It's not underlying and basic. He's no, just a no, monster. No. It's great. But like, um, have you seen *Romancing the Stone*? Yeah, it's it's a good film. I don't know what you're talking about. I like *Romancing the Stone* a lot, uh, and I even like Michael Douglas in it. But mm. um, he's not quite the type for that that sort of role. <laughs> I, I guess I'd agree with that. But that's that's kind of why it works to a certain extent. Yeah, I actually really like uh, *Romancing the Stone*. Yeah, it's charming, and the sequel's horrible. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I enjoy Michael Douglas a lot. I wish he was in more stuff. I would be remiss uh, talking about my CSC without Mitch and Sharon Stone, who is, like, amazing in it. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's the movie that should have won her Oscar, but alas, we live in an unjust world. So then I'll flip your question back on you. What's the best movie you watched the last couple of weeks? This is really, really tricky, so I'll, I'll probably have to name a few of the least honorable mentions that were close to being my favourite from what I've seen in the last few weeks. I'd probably give it to I Was Born But, the uh, Aussie silent film that was later loosely reimagined as uh, Good Morning. Mm-hmm. I was floored by it 
I didn't expect it to be as accomplished, uh, even though I know Ozu is a great director. Uh, but this was one of his earlier works, um, and I knew that his style had developed uh, towards the end of his career. Towards the end of his career, really, given that he started so early. But a lot of the a lot of his techniques were present there from a really early stage in his career. Oh, interesting. So it sort of bucked the conventional narrative about it. You think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't obviously have the uh, front-on conversation, right? Like the stare directed into the camera, yeah. Sort of Tokyo story. I I think I think to an extent his style kind of coalesced into this really economical, effective, restrained technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in the earlier silent films, he's more willing to use things like uh, camera movement, uh, mm-hmm. dolly shots, and stuff like that. Um, but it's it's one of the best films I've ever seen about children. Uh, and his trademark low camera Wait. style. Okay, here's my question for you then. Mm. Better or worse than uh, uh, my favorite Japanese film about children, House? Uh, I preferred it to House. What? You're yeah, it's crazy. Really I really like House, but I, I, I think I was born Buck is, is one of the best films I've ever seen. You're crazy. But you haven't seen I Was Born Buck, so you don't know. You've only seen House once, so... I love House, but I also love... The TV show? Oh, got you. So one of the trademarks of Ozzy, really throughout most of his career, is the low camera angles, um, which is present uh, very much in this film. Uh, and it really works for, for giving you that child's perspective of the world, because uh, the camera's right down uh, at their level. As well as being on the you know on the floor of the houses, what's really interesting to me is that um, more people didn't adopt this technique because I think it's a really effective way of shooting interiors, which can be quite a boring thing to shoot and inherently uncinematic in a way. Well, I think I think uh, I think the 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 problem is, is I mean these films are like you know hugely seen, but uh, by non like film buff people, mm. but also. I think that it gets read as like a, a specifically Japanese style, and it's like, you know, not. You know it definitely it suits the architecture of a traditional Japanese home, and I think what's interesting about that framing is that it creates this balance um, in a house. So mm-hmm. you kind of get equal spaces taken up by the ceiling as the floor, uh, as the walls on the side in this very symmetrical um, shot, and you get these frames within frames, and people leaving and exiting rooms um, and the camera doesn't always move to follow them and very infrequently does in fact and that's that's all there in i was born buck um but it also has lovely tracking shots of the kids you know walking to school um it's really funny it's really touching this is like a way more effective thing for what maybe chaplin was grasping towards um that kind of mixture of a very humanist sentiment with a kind of light you know lively mm. comedy at the center of it as well uh it's a, just a really tonally dead-on perfect film i think um mm. it's just, it was it was a really joyful joyous moving film mm-hmm. i can't say enough about it and i just did yeah i'll have to try to watch it then anyway so i'll quickly say a few of the other films that i also really really liked okay um jesus uh, christ <laughs> honorable mentions we just remember so i i watched uh 
another classic by one of the, the three towering figures of Japanese cinema, um, Mizuguchi, which is the life of Oharu, which is a really interesting film about uh, a woman in in a feudal era of Japan um, who just is basically tortured throughout the entire films in various ways um, by the various institutions of the society. It's it's like a non-icky version of a Lars von Trier film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, where you don't feel uh, like there's something creepy and perverse about the fact that someone has, has created all these... What? <laughs> I think you, I think you may be the first person to ever compared Mitsugishi to Lars von Trier. <laughs> so Lars von Trier's favorite theme is making bad movies. <laughs> putting a female protagonist through a horrible situation. Oh yeah, for two because hours. Because he's a misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> or five hours in the case of uh, *Nymphomaniac*. <laughs> <laughs> And essentially, that's the, the life of a horror is that. Like, it's essentially this character who goes from, like, terrible misfortune, uh, usually through no fault of her own, just by virtue of the way that, that society is set up. Uh, so it's a really interesting film, I guess, from a feminist perspective. Mizuguchi was a strange character, if you look into his life. Yeah, I heard that he was, like, really sexist in his persona, but his films are apparently, like, somewhat uh, proto-feminist, the way they depict society, which is strange. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's a complicated character. Yeah, of course. You couldn't just say he's sexist. No. Like, so this story in which um, part of part of the narrative of this woman, Ahara, is that she gets put into prostitution. Uh-huh. Um, that actually happened to his sister, like, that she was forcibly put into prostitution. So this was kind of um, leaning on that. Uh, and it's actually based on a famous um, Japanese story, like a classic piece of literature. But in contrast with the tone of the source material, which is like satirical and makes the woman like a nymphomaniac, it's um, this does not do that at all. And mm. it, it's a really humanistic portrait of a tragedy. And it's an, it's an astonishingly good film. But yeah, you don't get the same ickiness that obviously you get from Lars von Trier or that, that type of thing where you're like, why did you like conceive of this? I think it's just because the Lars von Trier likes to watch women in pain to a certain extent. Yeah. Whereas this, this kind of, it, it feels like a righteous anger behind it. Yeah. Um, like an indignation on the part of the filmmaker. It almost sounds like um, a lot of like the, the proto-feminist modernist literature I've read, or I've read about women specifically and that was written by women. Um, and then it's all about like, it's, it's almost like fatalistic in a way. Interestingly in real life, like Mizuguchi did like, frequent brothels and befriend prostitutes. It's kind of like the opposite of Ozu, who's apparently, like, sexless, right? Ozu, yeah, Ozu's possibly gay, yeah. and he never married. No, um, and he lived with his mother his entire life. He lived with his mother his entire life, um, and there's a story of him, like, getting in trouble for sending a love letter to a, another boy mm. when he was in school. It's funny that, uh, of the three, Kurosawa seems to have most, the most, like, traditional, like, romantic relationship, right? But the female characters in this film seem by far to be the worst of the, them. And now it's your turn to pick your wild card, and my turn to pick twenty wild cards. God, God, uh, I'm gonna choose. 
Uh, I'm just going to use this. I'm going to use my wild card to talk about a filmmaker I've been watching a lot of films of recently. So I've been trying to watch, I'm trying to go through and watch uh, the complete directorial filmographies of directors I've just overlooked who I think or would I, I'd either find good to watch or just, you know, just trying to fill in the, the blank spaces of my my film history, right? Uh, and I the, the person I decided to start with is a, a woman named Kelly Reichart, right? Have you heard of her? Yes. Um, she, I guess she's best known for directing Meek's Cutoff. It's a film that I think is amazing. But yeah, she, she's best known for Meek's Cutoff or Windy or Lucy. Um, and I've just been working my way through her filmography. I think all of the films that she directed, besides like some of her shorts, which are obviously not to be judged on the same level, are just really terrific, uh, very minimalist depictions of Americans on the fringes of society, uh, especially women. Um, her first film, River of Grass, is like so atypical when compared to the rest of her films, which are very sort of restrained. Uh, that it's almost like bizarre, but it, it's like essentially like a parody of like a Bonnie or Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde, not Bonnie or Clyde, type, uh, you know, lovers on the lamb. Actually, a lot of her films would be sort of classed as like road trip-ish. Even her western is about like wagon, a wagon train. But, I, you know, a lot of her, I, I don't know, I just really enjoy the way in which she shoots landscapes. And a lot of her stuff has a very sort of specific... Um, I don't know how to put it because it's almost like it's almost like digital video without necessarily being digital video. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. but it just feels sort of um, lived in in a way, you know. Where would you recommend uh, a potential listener who might be interested start? So I would I would probably say uh, Meek's Cut Off because I think that's probably her most successful film because it has that it has a genre element. Um, it has a really uh, sort of exquisite tension to it. Um, and then I would work my way back. I think I think uh, of the other films of hers I've seen, I, I enjoyed Wendy and Lucy the most, um, which is again just it's just really sad. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I think Meek's Cutoff is probably your best film. Uh, so I'd start there. And I also watched Cloud Atlas, which is amazing. I always watch Cloud Atlas. I love the Wachowskis. <laughs> it's like three hours long. <laughs> it's great. You love it. Anyway. Uh, go ahead. I'll probably use my wild card to speak about Mikey and Nikki, which was mm. uh, Elaine May's third film. Um, and it features uh, John Cassavetes and mm. uh, Peter Falk as two kind of pathetic gangsters slash friends. Uh, it kind of follows uh, Peter Cassavetes um, being paranoid about getting killed by his uh, mob acquaintances and calling on his friend uh, played by Peter Falk to help him. So it's really basically them the entire film and their performances and them bouncing off one another. And I think it's a really interesting film. Maybe not completely successful, but really interesting. It's been compared a lot to the Cassavetes style of rough, rough house cinematic techniques just to capture you know to just to that rawness in terms of the way it's put together and prioritizing the performances of the actors Uh over the look of the film and and, and stuff like that Mm. um so some people have called it like almost a parody of that style Um, i'm not sure how deliberate that was or not um and there's 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 funny possibly apocryphal stories of its production in which elaine may shot like 
reams of footage, more than Gone with the Wind, apparently. That's funny. Uh, for this, you know, relatively short ninety-minute film. But I mean, did she have control over Final Cut? Because it might not be. It might be ninety minutes. Uh, because no, no, she. Yeah, she did have. Okay. Um, it's not like uh, a new lead. Okay. Um, I think there are a, there are a couple of different versions, but they're maybe like ten minutes difference. They're not mm. significant in terms. Ten of minutes is a significant amount of time. Well, not compared to a new leaf, which was originally supposed to be a three hour cut. Jesus <laughs> Christ, like ninety minutes long. <laughs> wow, um, I would. I guess they just destroyed the footage. Yeah, it's, there's no um, it's a shame. surviving record of it, unfortunately. And who's to say? Like, I remember enjoying a new leaf a lot, and could imagine enjoying a three hour version of it but uh, it's not it wouldn't necessarily have improved uh, we, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, as 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 we'll become a running theme you you uh, like long movies yeah i like long movies. so mikey and nikki is i think the interesting thing about it, it seems like it's completely improvised um and it has that that style but i think like cassavetes uh, that's actually deceptive and a lot of it was scripted and it was originally going to be a play i believe before it became a film with mikey and nikki yeah mikey okay. and nikki there was apparently um some version of it that was a play uh-huh. and it's an interesting sort of feminist perspective or i shouldn't always say feminist i think it seems stupid to use that word all the time yeah because yeah. it's a woman but a, a female perspective on the gangster film uh-huh. and, and somewhat of a subversion of of um that masculine gangster figure because they're, they're kind of both pathetic both duplicitous kind of nasty people in, in their own ways this is a little like uh ishtar actually yeah yeah you haven't seen ishtar though no but i'm, I'm aware of it okay it's work it's been a while since i saw it like i saw it um a couple of weeks ago so i can't remember all the points i wanted to make about it but but yeah, I think that's that's worth looking into. Um, so you're saying I shouldn't start with that Woody Allen series that she could start in? <laughs> you know, we didn't uh, we didn't we didn't actually introduce ourselves to this time. <laughs> Maybe that will be the hilarious ending in which we introduce yeah. ourselves. Anyway, I've been Hunter. I've been and will continue to be you. Uh, and this has been Project A Plus. Good night. Good night. <laughs>